1 Corinthians chapter 9. This week and next week, we are in 1 Corinthians as well as in Ezekiel in the evenings, and then we will be taking a, a bit of a break, a six-week break, in fact, as we focus in on family. We're going to have our first uh, messages on Mother's Day, and we will finish our messages uh, six weeks later on Father's Day. And it will be morning and evening. We'll begin um, speaking to the men. My wife was asking me about that. She said, you're going to speak to the fathers on Mother's Day? I said, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And the reason why, number one, is because as we start the series, we should start with the fathers. But number two, because, you know, Mother's Day isn't exactly the day to be telling mothers everything they're doing wrong. So we'll let the fathers hear what they're doing wrong on Mother's Day. And uh, then the mothers will... Well, it's not really going to be that bad. I'm not going to be uh, here raking you across the coals. I'm just going to be telling you what the Bible says. And uh, the rest will be between you and the Lord. So, but anyway, it will be Father's First, and we'll begin that um, on Mother's Day. And uh, that will be um, not next week, but the week after. First Corinthians chapter 9 is where we find ourselves today. And you recall that two weeks ago, as we were in First Corinthians 9, um, we were speaking about the minister of God, the preacher of the gospel, uh, in verses 7 through 13 or 7 through 14, in regard to their ability to expect to live of the gospel that they're preaching. And the week prior to that, we were kind of doing a split passage, verses 1 through 6, and then verses 15 through 23, speaking about the limitations where Paul says that he physically limited himself for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, today we finish up 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in verses 24 through 27. It was some time ago that we began this series, and when we did, I preached a book sermon, as I typically do when we begin a new series in 1 Corinthians, and I stated that there was a theme that ran very heavily through this book of 1 Corinthians. And one of the statements I made in regard to this theme was this, that we are in a race. And to whatever degree we willingly limit ourselves in the pursuit of the things of this life in order that we might be able to pursue the things of the next life, we run the race better. That to whatever degree we are willing to set aside the things of this life and pursue the things of the life to come, we are running a better race for Christ. And this morning's lesson in verses 24 through 27 of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is really kind of the climax of this idea in 1 Corinthians of running a race and of running it well. We're going to be reminded today of this fact that you and I are, in a manner of speaking as Christians, in a race. We are striving toward an end goal. And it is not just important that we're running the race. It's also important how we run the race. It's not just about running. It's about running well. I, growing up, was still 
uh, when I played sports, I, I still had the benefit of playing sports at a time where there was actually something called competition. Nowadays, that's falling out of favor. Everyone plays, everyone gets a ribbon. They don't keep score anymore because after all, the only reason why you're out there is to have fun. And if you keep score, well then you're saying that this child is better than this child and that's unfair. And so we're not going to really do that anymore. But you know, that's not life, is it? That's not reality. The fact of the matter is, if you want something in life and you want to get to a point, you have to put effort into getting to that point, don't you? You have to set certain things aside and put other things in the forefront so that you get to where you desire to go. Priorities. And where we place our priorities is where we find our abilities. Where we place our priorities is where we find our successes. You know, it's the same in the Christian life. It's the same in a spiritual realm. We can't have no priority on spiritual things and expect to be spiritual people. We can't place a little effort into the, the Christian race, the Christian uh, marathon, and expect to run that marathon the way we ought. And that's what Paul's going to say this morning as we step into 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look with me if you would. We'll read verses 24 through 27. Paul says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul begins this in verse 24 by asking a rhetorical question. He says, Know ye not? Now I say rhetorical, why? I say this because Paul is not actually wondering whether or not they know what he's about to say. He knows they know. He knows they've heard this before. He's probably told them this before. He's not wondering if they actually know this. Perhaps he's wondering if they remembered this. Perhaps he's wondering if they cared. But he knows they know. And what is it that they know? What is it that he's reminding them? What is it that they had learned before? Well, verse 24, that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. Paul tells these believers in Corinth that they are metaphorically running in a race as Christians. Now, some of them may have run in physical races as well, but he's talking on a spiritual level, that they are metaphorically running in a race and that everyone runs, but you know, everyone doesn't win, do they? Everyone runs a race, but not everyone wins the race. The city of Corinth was the city that Paul was writing to. Corinth used to be a prominent city in the Greek Empire. It was now the capital of that region of Achaia in the Roman Empire. However, we all know of the Greeks and their ties to games. As a matter of fact, we know the Greeks to be the originators of the Olympic Games. Competition was deeply ingrained into the Greek culture. And the Romans had carried on this tradition so that competition was also deeply ingrained into Roman culture. There's this thing in Rome called the Colosseum. 
It's pretty big. It's pretty grand. It's pretty amazing. And it was specifically for the purpose of competition. I mean, some of those competitions were a little more, uh, let's throw Christians to the lions. But, but it was there to be a, a place for, comp- for sport, for competition, for entertainment. This would not be the only time that Paul would use this concept of running in a race in his epistles. In fact, it's something that came up regularly and not just in his instruction, but he literally saw himself this way. This was an analogy that resonated very deeply with Paul and his sensibilities. Consider Romans chapter 9, verse 16. Paul wrote this in regard to the Jews. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. As he speaks to the realities of um, the favor that God shows on a person in order to be willing to use them, it's not of the one that runs, it's of God that shows mercy. That's not talking about salvation there, recall. We know that from um, our studies in Romans 9 through 11. He says this in Galatians 2 2. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Talking about the effort he had put into his gospel ministry and he saw it as a part of his race. This was a part of his run. It was a part of his marathon that he communicated the gospel unto the Gentiles. Galatians 5, verse 7. He's asking these Galatians, Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? The same word there as he says, Galatians, you were running this race so well. You were running this spiritual race so well. What derailed you? What got you off track? Have you ever seen one of those um, times in the newspaper where... where um, perhaps they had a, a track around the city and it wasn't delineated very well. And the guy that was in the lead accidentally went the wrong way. And then everyone started going the wrong way too until someone finally figured out that, the, that the, the competition actually goes this way. And so these people are running all over lost. And then the guy that was in 100th place actually wins the race because the guy in first place took a wrong turn. It's kind of what Paul was saying to the Galatians. You were running so well, then something hindered you. Something knocked you off your race. He's using this race analogy. Philippians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul said this, "...holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain." He says, I'm running a race and I'm holding forth the word of life and my desire is that, that with you as I preach the gospel that this wouldn't have been a vain race. That my, the race that I'm running would be worth something. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. It's debatable in modern scholarship today who wrote the book of Hebrews. There are several reasons why I believe Paul wrote it and this substantiates those reasons quite nicely that whoever did write the book of Hebrews, of course we know the Holy Spirit wrote it, but as far as the penman, he used the same analogy Paul regularly uses of running a race. And it would be very consistent with Paul and his thought processes that he would use this analogy of running a race. And so he says, if we are running a race, we'll lay aside the weights, lay aside those things that easily beset you in your race and run it with patience. Run it with endurance is the word there. 
All of these instances of the concept of the Christian life being a race are found in Paul's teachings and serve to highlight exactly how closely Paul correlated the spiritual efforts of the Christian life with the material idea of a marathon. And Paul's message was this. Even though there are many that run a race, only one person receives that prize. And we should be running for that prize. Now let me, let me help you out here as far as what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that the end of the Christian life is only for one person. And that only the very best guy will get rewarded for his Christian efforts. Well, why can this not be what Paul means? Well, because we're all in Christ. Our efforts in this life are nothing more nor less than the natural spiritual extension of what Jesus Christ has done. In a manner of speaking, Jesus Christ is the one that ran the race and won it, right? And we are, winning, we, we are running the race that He won for us. The race is already won in a manner of speaking. So that's not the direction that Paul is trying to go here with this teaching. To say that I will not receive any prize because I was not called to be the world's greatest evangelist or I was not called to be the world's greatest pastor or I was not called to be the world's greatest layman is kind of silly if you even think about it. Uh, There would be really no point for many if that were the way it worked. And Paul's not even attempting actually to convey here that the Christian life is a competition. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians quite the opposite. 2 Corinthians verses 10 verse, uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 12 says this, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Paul himself warns us against comparing ourselves against other Christians. You know, in a race... When you're training, you are competing against yourself. You're competing against your clock. You can go this fast. And now I'm going to eat the right foods and I'm going to keep working hard. And in six weeks, now I want to go this much faster. I want to shave 30 seconds off my mile. So I'm going to do what I can do to shave 30 seconds off my mile. But when it comes time for competition... You're no longer racing against your clock, are you? You're racing against everyone else's clock. And now it's you versus them. And you run your race, and you run the best race that you know how to run, and you just want to to expect that your best race is better than their best race. They've been competing against themselves. You've been competing against yourself. You come together, and now the one that wins is the one that ran the best race is the one that had prepared the best. And so Paul is not trying to exhort us to compete against one another. He's trying to exhort each of us to run our best race, to shave our time. You may run an eight-minute mile. Another one of you may run a seven-minute mile. And you have worked hard, and you that run the eight-minute mile have shaved it down to seven minutes. And the person that ran the seven-minute mile shaved theirs down to six minutes and 45 seconds. Well, one person shaved a whole minute off their mile. The other only shaved 15 seconds off their mile. They've both improved. They've both done better. The one that only shaved 15 seconds off the mile will still win the competition, 
but they've both improved in their lives. And so Paul is not trying to tell us that you're competing against every other Christian. But you are competing according to a standard, the Word of God. And you are working, running this spiritual race. Verse 24, They which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So by using the running metaphor, Paul is not highlighting the competition aspect as much as he is the realities of effort and direction. Effort and direction. So Christianity is like a marathon in that it takes effort and it takes direction. Work and discipline and an end goal in sight. And this is the, Paul's point when he says, run that ye may obtain. He is not emphasizing that you need to run in order to beat everyone else. But God has ordained a purpose for you. He has given you a race to run. And there is an end goal in that race. And that is the very best end goal that you can possibly have. And Paul says, you want to run the very best race to get there. The very best race that you can possibly run. Do the very most possible for the Lord. The greatest prize possible at the end of your life. So let's look at these two points together as we consider what Paul is uh, continuing to say here in 1 Corinthians 9. First, we see that it takes work and discipline. The Christian life, like a marathon, takes work and it takes discipline. Notice what Paul says in verse 25. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Every competitor in this room knows what it is to train and to prepare. Paul, of course, was using a running metaphor, but it extends to really any area of competition. When a person is training for a marathon, he brings every aspect of his body under control and focuses toward that one goal. This person will eat healthily. They'll put away the donuts. They'll put away the chips. They'll put away the chocolate. They'll set all of that aside and instead they'll start eating foods that are, are good for their body, have the right kind of calories, have the right kind of fuel, so that they can have the most energy possible at the right times in order that they can run their race. They may need to trim a little bit of weight off so that they can be a bit swifter. They may need to um, eat certain types of food and actually gain a little bit of bulk, gain a little bit of muscle so that they can be faster. They're going to be eating in such a way that they can run at peak performance. But they're not just going to eat right, they're going to train right. They're going to regularly practice their skill. They're going to regularly perform their skill. You can't just walk into a marathon cold turkey and expect to win it, can you? You have to train. These folks are working hard. You're going to have to do the same if you want to win that marathon. And also they lay aside any encumbrance. They lay aside anything that's going to slow them down. They don't want to run with excess weight because if they have excess weight, they're not going to be running their best run 
possible. They're not going to run with a big old water bottle attached to their hip. That water bottle is nice, right? They have access to water anytime they want, but it's not going to help them run faster. So they're not going to put it on. In the Olympic Games, perhaps you remember the controversy surrounding the uh, speed skaters and their suits. They thought, well, maybe uh, the reason why we're not doing well is because our suits are encumbering us. Maybe they're not actually very aerodynamic. Maybe there's a little bit of resistance being built up in them. As it turns out, that wasn't the problem because they switched suits and they still did terribly. But they thought maybe there was a, something encumbering them. And if you're going to be the fastest possible, you're going to have no encumbrances. Nothing weighing you down. Paul then bridges the gap between this carnal metaphor of running a race and the spiritual metaphor. See, marathon runners do all of these things to win a little piece of metal. They do it to win their metal around their neck or the statue that they can place on their shelves, or in the case of my high school calculus teacher, a humongous belt buckle that they gave him if he ran the Leadville 100 in less than 24 hours. It's 100 miles, by the way, in less than 24 hours. He did it in 23 hours and something minutes and got his, got his belt buckle. And so, they they put their bodies through months of preparation and then 24 hours of torment, running for 24 hours to get a belt buckle. If men and women upon this earth are willing to devote every moment of their lives for weeks or for months or in the case of the Olympic Games for years simply to win a medal, how much more should you be disciplining yourself to win the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? How much more should you be bringing yourself into subjection to the things of God so that you can run the Christian race to the very best of your ability? How much more should you be looking toward that prize one day and subjecting yourself to the disciplines necessary to win it? Everything that we are, everything that we have, how much more should it be disciplined in our lives to work for Christ, knowing that in our spiritual lives we are striving not for a corruptible crown, not for a piece of gold or silver or bronze or tin or or aluminum or whatever they make all those things out of plastic, but for an incorruptible crown, one that cannot fade away, reserved in heaven for us. We mentioned Hebrews 12 verse 1 already. Consider it in light of this effort. Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Paul calls upon those readers to lay aside any weight, to do everything necessary to be spiritually fit in order that they could run the fastest and the best race they possibly can. And that is both the responsibility and the privilege that faces every one of us as believers. See, we're running in a race. You are running in a spiritual race. And to whatever degree you are willing to spiritually discipline yourself, to set aside the things of this earth and elevate the things of the world to come, you will run that race better. 
To whatever degree I am willing to see the carnal things in my life and set them aside to pursue spiritual priorities, I will be more spiritually fit to run this spiritual race. And this is really just the capstone of what we've talked about for weeks. We talked about it with our Lawful But Not Expedient series. We've talked about it with Paul saying that he's, he is um, considering the conscience of his brother. He's considering the gospel of Jesus Christ and how he is limiting his liberties for the sake of all of these elements of Christianity and of life. And see, all of, the, all of what Paul is saying in these chapters, it's not about the liberties I have in Christ. It's about the degree to which I'm willing to limit them for Christ. That's what he's talking about. Now you all know, and I've said it many times, this doesn't mean we sell everything that we have and we go into our little hermitage and we live this life of complete want. Each one of us is in a place in our lives where we have made decisions. What we have what we don't have, what we are going to purchase, what we're not going to purchase, what we're going to watch, what we're not going to watch, where we're going to go, where we're not going to go. And to, to one degree or another, each of us have chosen the degree to which we are willing to be encumbered in this life. The degree to which we are willing to have carnal things in this life because God has not asked us to simply be robots that can't enjoy the things of this life. He has given us this world to enjoy. He has given us the things of this life to enjoy in Christ, always aligned with Christ and His expectations. They're ours. They're ours to enjoy. They're ours to live out. But Paul makes it very clear that to whatever degree the carnal things of this life are able to take a lower priority and you elevate the spiritual priorities, you will run the spiritual race better. And if you want to become the best Christian you can be for Christ, it's going to mean spiritual discipline, spiritual effort, and spiritual priorities. Coasting through the Christian life is not the kind of a Christian life that we would look at and say, that's successful. It's that kid. It's that kid who gets C's across the board on his report card, not because he couldn't do better, but simply because he knows C's are sufficient. It's that kid who says, I can work this hard or not work this hard and get C's and that's enough for me, so I'm, I'm content with that. Do we want to be that kind of a Christian? The kind of a Christian who knows he can do A work, but he's only doing C work because it gets him by. The kind of a Christian who knows he can put forth more effort, who knows he can do more. I'm not talking about the Christian who puts forth every single amount of effort possible and still gets C's on the report card. You know, the Scriptures tell us that there are some that bring forth 30-fold, some that bring forth 60-fold, and some that bring forth 100-fold in this Christian life. And if, if God has made you a Christian who, is only, uh, who He's only given five talents to, not ten talents... Well, you're a five-talent Christian. That's not a dishonorable thing. That's not a bad thing. You're not doing anything wrong. But if you take that five talents you've been given and you say it's sufficient for me just to bury it in the ground and to bring back to the Lord those five talents when He reckons, well, there is something wrong with that. Because He expects us to take those five talents and to use them for His glory. Bring forth another five talents. 
Sure, I didn't bring forth ten talents, but the Lord didn't give me ten talents to start with. He gave me five and He expects me to be faithful with the five I have. So I'm not calling you to become the next great evangelist if, if the Lord would have that for you. Praise God. But that's not what Paul is saying here. You have your race to run. Your race. Are you running your race to the best of your ability? Are you spiritually disciplining yourself? Are you spiritually laying aside those weights so that your race is your best race? Not your brother's race. Not your sister's race. Not your parents' race. Not your pastor's race. Your race. See why it's foolish to compare yourselves? Your race is not the same as my race. Do we have the same destination? Yes. You're going to run your race. I'm going to run my race. And if we both run them well, we're both going to hear a well done. We're both going to receive the prize. We're both going to receive that to which God has called us to and we're going to hear those words. Because it's not about how much God has given us to work with in this life. It's about what we've done with it in this life. So Christianity is like a marathon in effort and in destination. Second, uh, first, it takes work and discipline. Second, it has an end goal in sight. Verse 26, Paul tells us that this is not an aimless race that we're running. It has purpose. Notice what he says. Verses 26 and 27. We'll read them together. Paul says, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul says in these verses that his running is not without uncertainty. He's not running in the dark. He's not running without a goal. You don't just cast aside carnal things so that you can live this nebulous life of what you think it means to be a Christian. That's not what we're doing. We're, we're, we're going at a particular purpose. We have a particular destination. Paul changes his analogy here, his competitive analogy, from one of running to one of boxing. He says, I'm not running uncertainly. He says, I'm not fighting as one that's beating the air. Have you ever seen one of those guys that wants to think he's something? And so he's going around like this, right? And you look at him and you say, you know, you're not hitting anything, bud. You're swinging at nothing. Anyone can look good when he's swinging at nothing. Or the guy that's got the baseball bat and he's all day, he's doing his little swinging and warm-ups and everything and, and then he gets up there and he can't hit anything. Well, it looked good when you were swinging at air, but when you've got a ball to hit, there's, some, there's a problem. You see, you're not hitting the ball. Paul says, I'm not running the race as if I've got no direction. Sometimes it's nice just to get out and go. Not have any place to go, not have any direction, not have any time limits. But a race isn't that way. If you run a race that way, you're not going to do very well in the race. I'm just going to, that's a really pretty road. I'm going to take that road. Let's see where that road leads. Oh yeah, there's that one over there. there there's a coastal highway there. I'll just run along that for a little while. I'll get the breeze coming off the, the water. That'll be nice. You show up to the end of the race and you say, well, where is everyone? Well, they've already gone home already. Oh, okay. Well, did I win? No, you didn't win. Oh, 
Why didn't I win? Well, because you didn't stay on the path. You were running uncertainly. A boxer can beat the air all day, but what matters is how much force is going through his arm when he hits the guy in the face. That's what's going to win the boxing match. It's not going to be how hard he can hit the air. Paul says, I'm not fighting as a guy that's swinging at air. I'm not running as a guy that's aimlessly wandering around the countryside. I have a goal. God has given us in His Word a template. And this is our training manual. This is our race. And to run your best race is to run in line with this right here. And if you're in line with this, then you're going to run your best race. If you start to wander your race is going to be encumbered. If you start to take on yourself the cares of this world, your race is going to be encumbered. You're going to perhaps try to fit within this template as you walk. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to reject the things of the world. But then you start to take on yourself pride. And all of a sudden, you're weighed down in your Christian life with pride. Or you start to take upon yourself materialism. And here, you're still trying to head in the direction, but you're just not going as fast as you ought to go because you've got this weight on your shoulders. Paul says, we lay aside the weights, we go toward the destination. The efforts of a marathon are not aimless. All of the discipline, all of the effort, all of the purpose, they aren't just for the sake of doing it, they're for the prize. The boxer doesn't train so he can swing in the air He trains so that he can win the prize. Paul spoke of this in Philippians 3. We read it this morning. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those which are before, I press toward the mark. He's moving. He's pressing. He's straining toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's not just aimlessly wandering. Yes, he's gotten off the beaten path before. Yes, we've all fallen down, haven't we? We've scraped our knees. We've scraped our elbows. Those things have happened in our Christian race. We've run this race and we've made mistakes. But you know what? God's a God that forgives. And so we repent of our sin. We get right with God. We restore the fellowship with God. And then we press toward the mark because there's a mark that we're going for. And it's the prize that we're waiting for one day when Jesus Christ looks at us and says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body. So the prize is not just something that's going to collect dust on our shelves. The prize is not only carnal, being burned with the earth on judgment day. To whatever degree I choose to discipline myself to live a spiritually devoted life and to whatever degree I choose to place spiritual priorities above earthly priorities, I run a better race. I earn a better prize. Paul then applies this to himself here. This whole chapter has been about Paul. Did you know that? His example. We've talked about it. He says, I've limited myself in my own ministry for the sake of the gospel. I have not allowed you to to supply my needs financially for the sake of the gospel. He says, this is why. Because I'm running a race and I'm not going to be encumbered. And he says, I keep 
under my body and bring it into subjection. He says that he personally brings his own body under his discipline. He keeps his body spiritually disciplined because he knows he's running a race. That's what he means. I keep under my body. Literally, I keep my body under me. My body is subservient to my spirit. My body is under subjection. My body obeys the Spirit of God. The last thing Paul wanted us to see was that as he preached the truths of God's Word, he didn't want to preach all of these concepts of holiness and righteousness and then for the church to see him fall short of them himself. Paul dreaded this concept. He dreaded the idea that as he preached the doctrine of Jesus Christ, one day he would fall short and be a castaway of his own teaching. So he says, I'm going to keep my body spiritually disciplined so that as I have told you what is right, so too... I will be what is right. Do you know that a man can preach what is right without living what is right? Do you know you can preach what is right without living what is right? Oftentimes, we read, we read quite regularly of pastors that fall into sin and therefore out of the ministry. And sometimes it's a real shame, not just for the sake of the sin, but for the fact that that man was a tremendous teacher. That man was really contributing to the church, in word. Indeed, he fell. It didn't change the fact that he knew what was right and he believed it to a degree. He just failed to live it. And you know, Paul was afraid of the same thing in his own life. That he would preach all of this great stuff, but that his own race, it's like a trainer who comes to work and he tells all these other guys how to run really fast and then they say, well, you show us. He runs three, three feet and he falls on his face. Or they race him and he, he, he can't run. It doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't know how to teach others how to run a good race. It just means he himself wasn't very good at it. Paul says, I'm not going to be one of those. In, in the physical sense, that, that can be okay, Right? You can have a guy that really knows what he's talking about, but maybe isn't very good at it himself. And he can help others just fine. But you know, in the spiritual sense, it doesn't work that way. In the sp- spiritually speaking, we all have a race to run and we're expected to run it well. As we apply this morning, I'd like to reference one more passage of Scripture with you, and that's James chapter 1. What Paul was afraid is that he was going to be found at the end of his life to be a hearer or a preacher, but not a doer. James 1 tells us this, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. James presents three types of people, and it's possible that all three types of the people are under the sound of my voice today. He presented doers, hearers but not doers, 
and perhaps those who are not hearers or doers. See, believers who hear and understand are those who will discipline their lives to be holy and righteous servants of Jesus Christ. See, the reason why we as believers can understand but not do, be hearers but not doers, is because we don't understand or we don't believe the Word of God. If we truly grasp how temporal the things of this life are, if we truly grasped how long eternity was, if we truly believed what the Word of God says about today, tomorrow, and eternity, there would not be one person in this room that would have a problem with being a doer of the Word of God. But the problem is we don't all understand this. We all have a hard time. Because this is what we have to see with faith, not see with our eyes. The only thing that hinders us from becoming the very best Christian on the face of this earth is the degree to which we are unwilling to place our faith in the teaching of God's Word. We don't want to think about it that way, but that's what it is. The only thing that hinders us in our spiritual lives is our lack of faith that what God's Word says is true enough to live. We all know that God's Word is true and we will all die for that, will we not? We would all die on the altar of the declaration that God's Word is true. But we don't all live on the altar of the declaration that God's Word is true. What a paradox. Your pastor's in this boat too. They're continuing in James, he says in verses 23 through 25, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. And this is our second group. This is the hearer, but not the doer. It's regrettable to say that there's probably a little bit of this in every one of us. That if we did truly believe and understand the Word of God, we would completely obey. But the converse is also true that to whatever degree we don't obey the Word of God, we are doing so either because we don't understand it properly or we don't truly believe it. Paul has told us today that we should run a spiritually disciplined race and run it to the best possible degree. Over the course of several months now, we've talked about some of the ways that that factors into our practical daily lives. The ways in which we can limit our liberties for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The ways in which we can limit our liberties for the sake of a weaker conscience. The ways we can limit our liberties for the expediency of doing that which is best in our lives. And perhaps to some degree or another, the Holy Spirit has laid upon your heart things that are out of balance. Priorities that are out of balance. And you have either taken that understanding and made changes, or you have taken that understanding and you have ignored them. You have either been a hearer of the Word, or you've been a doer of the Word. And how many of us truly will? 
remove the encumbrances from our lives? How many of us will truly change our priorities to reflect spiritual priorities better? How many of us will truly limit ourselves, limit those elements which are lawful but not expedient, lawful but not expedient to the gospel or to our lives or to our brother's conscience for the sake of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus? There are many who are hearers but not doers. Let's not be among them this morning, folks. James continues. He says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. See, this is a promise. This is a promise that we must believe. That if you will not just be a hearer of the Word of God, but a doer of the Word of God, you will be blessed for it. That if you will not just know what needs to be done, but do what needs to be done, you will be blessed for it. The things that you tell others ought to be done, are you doing them? The things that you tell others, yes, this is the ideal, are you living it? The things that you tell others, you know what, I wish... He was like that, or he should be like that, or he should think that, or he should do that. Are you doing it? You know the Word of God. The folks in this room today, we don't have any guests today. You know this book. Some of you better than others. Some of you are young. Some of you are older. Some of you have had more years of study or not. It's not that you don't know. The question is, are you doing? There is a third group perhaps here today, and those are those that do not hear or do. And these are not hearers or doers because they do not have ears to hear. And therefore, they have no capacity to do. The Scriptures tell us that if you are not a born-again believer, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have never put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, then you cannot do because you cannot hear. You cannot understand the spiritual things of God because they are spiritually discerned. And therefore, you have no capacity to truly please God because the Scriptures tell us in Romans 8 that they are, that are in the flesh cannot please God. You're not even in the race if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You are living in Satan's kingdom, chained to your sins. And the race does not begin until, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, you accept that gift of salvation and those chains fall off. And then you are no longer subservient to your body, to your flesh. You can bring your flesh under subjection through the Spirit of God that indwells you at the moment of salvation. So the question is on the table. Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? You say, I'm not doing... I can't do... I've tried to do and it's not working. Are you saved? Do you even know what you're supposed to be doing? Spiritually speaking. If you were to die right now, do you know for sure that you would stand before God and hear anything other than, depart from me, I never knew you. 
Would you hear a well done? Would you hear an enter into the joy of your Lord? If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can do it today. Scriptures tell us, For God so loved the world, John 3.16, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Belief is the standard. Belief, not just mental assent, not just accepting that uh, something is true, but literally placing your faith in that message. Not just accepting, knowing that Jesus died on the cross. Not just knowing that He is God. Not just knowing that you're a sinner in need of salvation. But accepting the reality that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for you on the cross. That there's nothing that you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to earn yourself favor with God. And that you must come to God His way through the blood of Jesus Christ. And as Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, He paid the penalty for your sins so that if you will but accept the gift of Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That is the Gospel for those of you who are not doers or hearers. For you have never accepted Christ. Well, we all have decisions to make today. What are we going to do with what we've heard today? If you're a believer in this room, you are running in a race. This race requires discipline. This race requires effort. You can't just coast through it. Are you disciplining yourself in your spiritual life? Are you exercising the disciplines of a spiritual life? Are you spending time with the Lord in the Word of God? Are you spending time with the Lord in prayer? Are you out being a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ to those that are around you? Is your daily practical life a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you living this double-minded life where you're a Christian on Sundays and you're carnal the other six days of the week? Do you have two different vocabularies where you've got your I'm around a believer words and you've got your I'm around an unbeliever words? Or are you running this race with patience? Have you laid aside the encumbrances and the weights of this world that can so easily beset us? Are you hanging on to your own priorities and desires at the expense of spiritual responsibilities? Are your days lived in selfishness rather than yieldedness? Are there things that you've been keeping back from God that He wants you to yield to Him? May God's Word encourage us through His Holy Spirit to be temperate in all things to keep under our bodies, to bring them into subjection, to lay aside the weights, to strive for the spiritual mastery, and therefore to become the greatest Christians this world has ever seen. Let's pray together.